0: Hey everybody, how you doing? And welcome to episode number 77 of the John Riley Project. It is Saturday, September 14th, 2019. We are broadcasting as we always do from Poway, California, the city in the country. Welcome. Thanks for joining us on... Kind of really hot day in Poway. I think it's been around hundred degrees today. So I've been kind of holed up in my air conditioned home, powered by our solar panels and, um, just staying cool, um, relaxing. And we're going to get into this, this topic here in, in, in our community in the city of Poway about the Big Stone Lodge. And, and this is a really interesting combination of love and passion and Compassion all these different motivations coming together that I think are really special. And and there's a political angle to this as well. And I kind of want to walk you through it. It's also a a walk down memory lane. There's a historical angle to this, which is really neat. So we're going to talk about the Big Stone Lodge here in Poway. Got a couple other highlights on Poway Unified School District's finances. I always seem to have updates and they're usually not good. And we have another wrinkle that's just been added. Um, So we're going to share some of those topics in today's Podcast. Um, You know, keeping it local, keeping it real here in San Diego County, North County Inland. You know, this is the community we serve Poway, Rancho Bernardo, Rancho Peñasquitos, Carmel Mountain Ranch, Forest Ranch, Sabre Springs. This whole area here in North County Inland is my home. And a lot of my listeners, a lot of my viewers live in this area as well. So we like to cover a lot of these local issues. Because I think these are meaningful and, you know, they were all fit within our higher purpose of life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And we're going to kind of touch on really all of those angles today, which I think is going to be neat. Um, and what have you been up to today? You know, what, what have you been doing with this 100 degree heat? Like I said, I've been. Hanging out in the air-conditioned house. It's college football Saturday. Uh, watch the ending of that BYU USC game. It was a big win for the Cougars. And also, uh, been listening to the Aztec game right now. They're getting close to halftime, and the Aztecs are up fourteen to nothing over New Mexico State. Unfortunately, the game isn't. On television, It's not being streamed for free. I would have had to use this service. I never, never even heard of them, like $12.50 a month. And I didn't want to sign up and then have to not, you know, then cancel my subscription because I wanted to only use it for one game. So I figured I'd take a pass this week and just listen on the radio. And the Aztecs are doing well. Love listening to good old Uncle Teddy. I was talking with one of my friends here in Poway, Larry Schuler, And we were talking about how great Ted Leitner is and the great things he's done in San Diego for the Padres, for the Aztecs, heck, even for the Chargers. And Ted's getting old, you know. I think his hearing and his eyesight are going. Larry was telling me this is his last year, and and that doesn't surprise me. I, I haven't heard any announcements. I think Larry did, but... Um I just think Ted Leitner is an interesting guy. I mean, he's had a colorful history here in San Diego and he's one of those acquired tastes. You either, you you first hear him, you don't really like him. And then he kind of grows on you and to the point where you begin to love him. So yeah, I was listening to uncle Teddy and he is in, I guess the game is in Los Cruces. So uh, he won't be at the uh, Padre game tonight. So hoping to watch the Padres this evening against the Colorado Rockies and hoping for some good things there. Um, I told you before I'm really digging the show Madam Secretary so now I'm up to season 5 episode 6 so I am in heavy binge mode on this show and I really really like it and I know a lot of it is a bit corny at times sometimes a little bit orchestrated but they cover some interesting issues and and the character of Elizabeth McCord the Secretary of State played by Tia Leone always comes off as the hero she's the hero on the um, on the world stage, she's a hero as a working mom. So you know, obviously, it's a very glorified show, but it's it's neat. It's special and. Just a few episodes ago, they actually had Hillary Clinton and um, Colin Powell and Madeleine Albright all guest starring in the same episode. It was, it was pretty cool uh, to see some real life characters in the show because there was all the former secretary of states getting together and they were advising Secretary McCord, the fictional secretary of state on you know, some some issues. And I thought that was neat. So I'm enjoying that show, and I think there's only five seasons, and then there's going to be a six that'll be on television. I don't know if that one's started yet, but I'll get into it. Um, And then, yeah, right now it's Saturday. I'm recording this at 624. I'm looking here at my tablet, 624 on Saturday as I record this. I'm leaving tomorrow morning and I told you I'm going on this trip and, uh, gonna meet my friend Jack from college. He lives in San Francisco. So we're gonna meet and we're driving up the 395 and we're gonna meet in the town of Ridgecrest and then from, which is north of Mammoth, if I recall. And then we're gonna go off on a dirt road over to the town of Bodie, which is this old mining town, ghost town, which is gonna be great. So I'm hoping to get some video there and I'll share that. In the John Riley Project Insiders group, which is that special closed Facebook group that you're invited to join us there. We have some interesting conversations and some bonus video content that I like to put there. Um, so please join us, and I'm hoping to have some content while I'm up in Bodhi. And then we're going to work our way up to Reno. And I'll be up in Reno Sunday night and Monday night. And we're going to the National Automobile Museum to see all these vintage cars from the early 20th century and even from the 19th century. So um, and that should be fun. And it's interesting. I'm, I'm not really much of a car guy. I mean, I like electric vehicles and I like, you know, we have I have a Hyundai Kona and my wife has a Chevy Bolt and, and I love the technology. But I've never really been a car guy, you know, and my friend Jack, definitely a car guy. You know, Pete Neald, who's been on this podcast multiple times, he's a car guy. In fact, he's driving his Corvette Calypso right now up to Laguna Seca uh, for the big race up there. Um, He's a big car guy. And so I've been enjoying this for my friend Jack and my friend Pete cars are their pursuit of happiness. And so I'm enjoying the ride with them. Normally, I would never have gotten into some of these car events. I mean, I went to the Long Beach Grand Prix with Pete and I had a great time. And my friend Jack wanted to go to this museum in Reno and I said, hey, I'll go with you. And so I'm going on a little, you know, kind of a boondoggle. So I rearranged my schedule with my clients and cleared some space on Monday and Tuesday and and here we go. So I'm leaving tomorrow like at 5 a.m. And I'm going to head up the 395. And that's a road I've never been on, you know, at least the full distance. So I'm looking forward to that. So I'm going to be leaving at 5 o'clock tomorrow morning. So I still do need to do some packing and, and get organized and make sure I got some of my video equipment because I want to record at, you know, definitely the bonus footage in uh, the Facebook, closed, the closed Facebook group john riley project insider 's group, like i said you 're invited to join us there. Um, just request permission, and we give everyone access but if if I can make it work and not have it sound too clunky, I may do an actual like regular podcast you know a, a regular episode while i 'm up there i 've got a really good um, Microphone that is a great USB mic that's made by the same company, Rode, that I use here for my studio mics. And I was using that microphone when I was doing some of the podcasts earlier in the summer when I was kicked out of my podcast studio when I was recording in my backyard. So I'm going to try bringing that microphone with me. It it it, it's it's a very sensitive mic. It picks up everything. Um, So maybe if I'm in a ghost town, that'll work really well. So um, I'm going to experiment with that while I'm on the road. But yeah, let's talk about the the Big Stone Lodge. And I, this, like I said, this is a great topic. I mean, because it, there's so many different angles to this story, and that's why I thought it was a really good one to talk through in this podcast episode. Because it's it's a very Poway specific thing. Um, it's a part of the of the of the broader history of San Diego, um, and it involves we 're going to get into issues related to veterans we 're going to get into issues related to parks, related to history, related to local government um, we 're going to get involved in, in with community activists as we talk through this, and just people that have deep passion and love in each of these different categories and This big stone lodge is is a convergence where all of these different um, passions are all lining up, and I think they 're struggling to gain alignment together. And and I'm hoping we can talk it through in this podcast. I'm hoping this will educate you. And if you live here in the San Diego North County inland area, um, or if you lived in San Diego County in general, hopefully this is helpful. And I'm hoping that we'll learn something together and we'll keep tabs on this topic as it unfolds. So. Um, let's go through the history. So first of all, the Big Stone Lodge is this building that's in Poway that was built, I think, like in the early part of the 20th century, like around 1920 or so, if I recall. And it was a stagecoach shop, uh, stop. Oh, actually, no, roll the clock back. It was built much earlier than that. That let me, nah, I'm getting my facts mixed up. The, the the building itself, I think, was built in the 1920s, but previously that whole general area used to be a stagecoach stop going back to the early, you know, right around the turn of the century. And at the time, it was a stagecoach that went from San Diego to Escondido. And Poway was the midway point, and they called it, you know, the 20-mile house um, because it was, a, it was a great place to stop. And sometimes people would spend the night there, you know, either camping or in a hotel that was built. And over time, as the automobile was introduced, this area they became a gas station. They built this big stone lodge, and there was this wonderful picnic area where people would come and and not just as a resting point on the drive. And you know, if you know the the topography there, there's a lot of hills and canyons and kind of crazy mountain roads, or maybe not mountain roads, but hilly roads and rocky roads. And the the drive itself was if you're on a stagecoach, it was a rough riding. So this was a really nice stopping point. And they had a the wonderful picnic area. And the area actually had served as sort of a meeting place in the early uh, history of Poway for a lot of community get togethers. Um, and over time, you know, it was a bar, it was a restaurant. I think a church used it at some time. Um, and they called it the Big Stone Lodge because it was built with these huge rocks. So rather than a a house being built with wood um or with a lot of lumber, this was built by you know getting these gigantic boulders that are you know probably four feet six feet wide, and they somehow trucked them into the area and used some concrete or plaster and kind of patched them together. And then they built those as the walls and the fence area. And there's actually a collection of homes there um, that are documented. And I'm going to give huge shout out to Jessica Johnson. Remember, she came on the podcast here a couple of months ago, sharing her book, Abandoned San Diego. She has a great, great website called Hidden San Diego it shows all of these secret, special, um, historical places, artistic places um, in San Diego, and she has a whole page documented this, and I'll include that in the show notes. and And Jessica documented it, and you know, there's like six or seven, I think, houses along this stretch of road. And I mean, heck, the Big Stone Lodge, really. Turned into like a like a country and western bar. It was like a honky tonk. It was rowdy, and then near the end of its existence, it was even owned for some time by Randy Jones, you know, the former Cy Young uh, Award pitcher for the San Diego Padres. So he used to live in Poway. He bought it for a while. I know he was working his barbecue business, um, and I think he owned it for some time. But it, it's it's interesting how it's evolved over time. And in the early nineties, the city of San, uh, the city of Poway, you know, was going through this huge growth movement and kind of in that general area, um, right off of Pomerado road, there was an effort to build new housing. And when that housing was put in and it's, you know, reasonably upscale homes, as those people moved in, and they were a very short distance from uh, th- this this uh, big stone lodge, well, the fact that it was a rowdy honky tonk country western bar, it made a lot of noise. Those people complained, and eventually it got shut down um, so it 's a very interesting story you know with this with this particular location because it has such historical significance and I mean, I even visited there once in the early 1990s and just to check it out because everyone was talking about it. How it was this really popular place? And sure enough, man, you go there and it was, it was, there was live country music. And if you weren't wearing, you know, some cowboy boots and weren't ready to, you know, um, do the two-step or something, you know, it was, you were a bit out of place. It was definitely part of the Poway culture the, the city and the country, that cowboy vibe it was definitely big there. Um, but it didn't last, it closed down. In the early 1990s, and a lot of it was because the building itself, over time, it just eroded and degraded. Eventually, what had happened is, um, uh, you know, the city ended up buying the land and and then fenced it off. And so, it's been dormant now for 16 years. So, if you go to also to my my closed Facebook group, the John Riley Project Insiders Group, again you're invited to join. You have to request permission. I give everyone permission to join us. But in there, I did a video of this site. And it's like about a five minute video. I was, I was down there. I was walking around and just checking it out because it had come up recently in, in some of our conversations here in Poway. And I really wanted to take a look and I wanted to share it with everybody here. And so it, it's a really neat place because, you know, Poway, is now, you know, the, the country part of Poway over time is becoming less and less. And it's now really a, a suburban community, in some cases, a high end suburban community here in San Diego County. Um, but you go back. Down the street. And it's now it's, it's on what's called Old Pomerado Road, which used to be the Pomerado Road until they built a, a faster thoroughfare parallel to it. I'm not sure when that actually went up. But this Old Pomerado Road is this little road tucked off onto the side of Pomerado Road just south of Poway Road. And it's a very interesting place if you drive down there because it's like you're in a time warp. You you go there and there are these huge oak trees um, with just massive amounts of shade. And it feels like something like when I was a kid and I was out going out to the country, it felt very different than this sort of suburban lifestyle that many of us in Poway you know, live, what we experience today. So, it, And the road itself is like a little bit rocky, a little bit clumsy. There's some older homes that are out there. There are these stone homes um, and you'll see the big stone lodge there. And then actually right next to it, there's other stone homes. They've been refurbished and they're really nice. In fact, one of them is a Pool, not a pool, a pond store that sells all the accessories for people that have ponds in their home. And interestingly, I was there because we're trying to fix the pond in our backyard, and I was over there talking to them, and it was wild because they used to be on Midland Road, in another sort of old western part of Poway, and now they moved over to the the Big Stone Lodge area. But it's a neat spot, and um when I went there, you know, like I said, the, the building itself was fenced off and it's been neglected. And and it really is unlikely to ever be refurbished, remodeled. It, it's in a very bad state of uh, of affair. It probably is a fire hazard. It's probably risky. And it's probably going to need to come down in some form at some time. And so this is what's going on right now is there's now talk to kind of Begin to accelerate the process of tearing it down. And that's creating all of these different factions in our community to react. And they're reacting because they want to preserve. The history of Poway and people are clinging to the Big Stone Lodge as one of those last vestiges of our history, because so much of Poway history has been essentially bulldozed to make way for a lot of modern farms. And so, or excuse me, for modern homes. So I get that. Um, but what what's happening now is the city of Poway is trying to find a place for a veterans housing community, for low-income veterans. And this has been sort of a political football that's being bounced around. And so right now, they are targeting that location um, where the Big Stone Lodge is. And that's why part of the reason when the city bought the land, they said originally they bought it to be a sort of a passive park. And... If you go to that area, that sort of makes sense because it's in a flood zone. Um, if you had to, if you were to build on that land, you'd probably have to do a tremendous amount of grading, which would be expensive to raise the um, the level of of land so it can be above, you know, essentially the water level if there is a heavy flood. Because that area is really where there's a creek that runs through that property. So, the what had happened is is that the city of Poway purchase the land, and then they recently sold it to the Poway um, Housing Authority for $845,000. And the city used that money. They're earmarking it, and they're building that new Mickey Cafania Community Center. And that's what they're using that for, which, by the way, that's a whole other political football. And there's people on pros and cons on that project as well. But there's been, it's interesting is there's been, you know, a lot of people in town have been challenging the technicalities of how this site and the money is being moved around and who's selling it to who. And and that's, I'm not going to go into the weeds on that in this podcast. Frankly, a lot of that, I don't fully understand. Um, But what I do know is that the city now wants to implement a demolition at that site to clear that space. And they're pushing forward a, an exception to doing a traditional environmental impact report. I think because they know that if they do a, a full EIR on that site, they're likely going to discover some things, maybe archaeological digs, which is common in these sections of Poway. They may discover things. There may be other issues that will maybe create a problem to clearing that space and putting in that veterans' housing. So you're seeing some some accelerated movement on this. And there are people like and I've talked about this this lady before. Her name is Chris Cruz. And um, she is a very outspoken community activist here in Poway. And I think to a great degree, gets a lot of respect from people in Poway. They may not always agree with her, but they definitely respect the way she goes about her business. And she's relentless. She'll go and, and get the information. She'll hold city council members to account on a lot of issues, which I think is very healthy. Um, in some ways, she's sort of the Leader of a loyal opposition force in town that challenges the status quo, challenges the um, the efforts of certain city council members. Definitely provides sort of a counterweight to our mayor. And it's an interesting how, if you follow her and listen to some of the things that she puts forward, you know she, she'll go way back in history, pull up documents, and and again challenge the city council on what's legal and what's not. So it's fascinating to see how this plays out. And that's part of this. what this this story is so interesting is because these are people that love their city. the The community, I've spoken about this Facebook group called South and North Poway Votes. These are people that participate in this because they're engaged in their community. They're civically minded. They love their city and they want what's best for this city. Now they don't always, we can't get everyone to agree all the time, but we know that there's passion and love and we're all coming from a good spot. And so um, I, I give Chris Cruz a huge amount of credit on this. So she's fighting the good fight to protect that land, keep it as a passive park, a passive park, meaning it's just open space and it's a place where you can hike and you can walk your dog. You can enjoy nature. Maybe there's some picnic benches, but it's not like an active park with restrooms or a a concession stand or playground equipment. It's not that kind of a park or ball fields. There'll be none of that. It's a passive park. And that's what she really wants to have this land be retained for. And really, if you go back, and this is what she's done, you go back and look at the documents when that land was set aside, when the city of Poway bought it, they declared that it was going to be a passive park. So- It's very interesting to see, again, how all of this is playing out, because we've got one group of people that want to use it for housing, particularly for veterans housing. Other people saying, no, we should protect it um, as a passive park because it's in a flood zone. Other people wanting to protect the building itself, even though the building is dilapidated. I don't think the building is recoverable. Um, So one of the things that has been discussed is maybe that site you know, maybe the footprint of that building can be retained, maybe with some kind of commemorative plaque. And that could, or maybe even like, a wall or two that's still there, almost like a Greek ruin. Uh, because once you remove all of the, the damaged wood and all the other huge problems at the site, and again, I encourage you to go check out the video that I did in my my John Riley Project Insiders Group Facebook group, and you'll see it. You can see that a lot of this really needs to be essentially, it needs to be subtracted from. We need to tear part of this down uh, to really handle the site properly because the way it is now it just looks awful this old ugly building with an old ugly chain link fence around it with rusted air conditioning equipment and broken wood and and it's a mess right now so um so you've got you've got all these factions. You have this one group of people that are clinging to it from a historical perspective, retaining the history of Poway. And it is kind of funny that the thing that we're trying to retain here is a bar, you know, is a nightclub. But it was a cool nightclub, and it was if you go back further in history, like I said, it's a stagecoach sh- uh, stop, which goes back to the um, the era before the automobile. But this area, again, the people that there's another faction that want to maintain it as a passive park. And not only is it a flood zone, but there's actually a trailhead there. So that kind of plays into that argument for a passive park. Now, the mayor, Mayor Steve Voss and and others on the city council um, are targeting this as a low income housing for veterans. And first of all, you're thinking, okay, how do you build housing in a flood zone? Now, I'm sure there are probably some engineers that know how to essentially grade the land and optimize it for housing. But if they did that, they're going to likely destroy a lot of the habitat there, including these amazing old oak trees that are so beautiful. So you wonder how much that housing, if they put it there, how disruptive it would be and According to the people I've talked to, trying to find a compromise of maintaining the historical site and building housing around it may not work because there's a creek that runs through the land. The parcel isn't that big. Um, So what can really be done? Now, the veterans housing piece of this is another interesting angle. And there's a history to that. So here in Poway, we have a very active veterans um, citizenry, you know, there's there's multiple VFWs in in the city, and and we even have a veterans park that's right across the street from Old Poway Park. And so, on important holidays like Veterans Day, Memorial Day, there there are ceremonies that are conducted at this location, and there's a lot of people that show up for these uh, because there's a lot of patriotism um, here in in Poway, and. A lot of – we've talked a little bit about the um, the Trump supporters on some of the previous podcasts, which are more the Murica guys, which they're patriotic in their own way. But there's also more traditional patriots in this city that have great respect for veterans uh, and, and and the military in general. And so the one of the things we've been struggling with in the city of Poway is having affordable housing because – And this goes back to the housing crisis, which we've talked about extensively on this podcast. And in Poway, because of the development that's occurred, the city has some kind of an obligation. I don't really understand it completely, where they have to put in low income housing. And so it was suggested that we put in low income housing for veterans. And one of our former city council members, Jim Cunningham, fought, you know, fought, as hard as you could fight for this particular topic. Um, He is a huge supporter of veterans issues. Um, He really laid it all out on the line. I give him credit. He fought for what he believed in. And they had a site that was set aside here in Poway on Twin Peaks Road. And it's on the eastern end of Twin Peaks Road, just east of the middle school. There's a big open spot there you would think would be a great place for a veterans housing or for low income housing, Um, but it ended up getting rejected three to two. And it's interesting because this was back in the 20... 16 election timeframe, um, one of our other city council members, Barry Leonard, was running for election and had talked to a lot of the neighbors nearby. And when they found out they were talking about putting in low income veterans housing across the street on Twin Peaks Road, they went crazy and they were objecting to more traffic, more congestion. Um, in many ways, I thought exaggerating really on what the impact is, and we have a case really here of more nimbyism, you know, not in my backyard. Barry Leonard, from a strategic perspective i 'll give him credit, was able to use that to build support for his campaign, and he and three other members of our city council voted against putting the the um, low income veterans' housing at that location and so that has Led to um, this site at where where the um, where the Big Stone Lodge is as being the alternative site to put that veterans housing, but again that site itself has a great deal of challenges as well. So there is definitely a faction of people in the, in our city that are supporters of veterans, and really want to do the right thing for veterans by putting a veterans housing complex, particularly for low-income veteran housing, in Poway. Now, other sites have been coming forward. There's another one on Monte Vista, which is near Pomerado Hospital, and it's a site that right now is an overflow lot being used by some of our local auto dealers. But it's a little, well, not really little, it's a good-sized site, but in this area surrounded by a lot of... um, There's homes and medical offices. There's a hospital nearby. There's a Montessori school nearby. It actually could be a pretty good fit. They're looking at that as an alternative, but there's not a lot of open space left in Poway. So it's been this political football trying to figure out how to solve this problem, and different people have different motivations. So what's happening now is there is this acceleration of the process to clear that land. And how are they going to do it? And are they going to do it and do it with community input, without community input? What's the plan? How's this going to play out? So I, I just think it's a fascinating issue. And the, and the discussion that's been going on in some of the Facebook groups here in town, it's been great. I mean, again, like I say, people that love their city, that are engaged, but it's all being discussed in such a nice civil manner, which I think is wonderful. Now, here, I mean, here's my take on all this, on what I think should be done. First of all, I think that the fact that the city owns this land is a big part of the problem. Originally, this was private property way back when. And once the city bought it, then it became uh, a public asset and then it becomes politicized. And that's why we got into this situation. It's not only politicized from a park perspective, it's politicized from a low-income housing perspective. It's politicized from a veteran's perspective. Um, So I think that in and of itself is probably a big part of this problem. It should never have been... The government should never have bought the land in the first place. It should have been sold to private interests. And then the private owner then could make the appropriate decision. If, if it was in a floodplain, I'm sure it would have been priced accordingly. And if they had to grade the land, then they would. And they would do it in a way that was... Um, you know, essentially maximizing their return on investment. They would have done that financial calculation and done something that would have served them and served their customers. That would have bought the uh, the property on the land, or would have engaged in business or engaged in housing on the land. That really should should have been the path forward, but that's not where we are. I think the building itself can't be restored. I think the building needs to be torn down. Now, if, if a portion of it is is kept, like a Greek ruin, you know, a wall and a plaque, yeah, that'd be fine. You know, that'd be that'd be great. Um, and I think the ideas of of acknowledging that it's in a flood zone and keeping it a passive park that makes sense to me. I mean, I think the fact if government owns it. That's probably the best use of that. So I think the Passive Park idea makes a lot of sense. I, I get it. It's near, it's near a um, trailhead. We're putting in a lot more housing here in Poway, especially on, along Poway Road. There's going to be over 1,000 units there. And they didn't build additional parks for those, those uh, communities. So this is another place for that. Now, granted, it's off the beaten path. It's not easily accessible. But if it's publicized, it could be. By the way, the people that live on that road probably don't want it publicized. (laughs) They were probably happy when the Big Stone Lodge closed down because now it's a very quiet, kind of in the back corner of Poway, almost sort of hidden. That's why it's so special to go there, just to go check it out, because it's like a time warp to another era. Um, But I do want to bring this other angle to it up uh, on this issue, and it, it pertains to the notion of low income housing and it pertains to veterans' housing specifically. Now, the low-income housing portion of this, we've talked about this gr- extensively in the podcast. We have a housing crisis in San Diego. There's a great need for more development of homes. The more housing that we build, will increase the supply and therefore um, bring prices down, or at least slow down the increase of prices. It's just econ one hundred one. We have huge demand, but the supply is 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 um, is being contained. And that's driving pricing up. So I'm a big supporter of building more in order to kind of help relieve that pressure. But what's, what we're seeing instead is, is this notion of not in my backyard, this nimbyism, and this, this need to prevent more development and then be able to say, oh, well, what we'll do is we'll subsidize housing in other areas for low income because we can't do it through market forces because of the nimbyism. And I think that's where it gets into a cluster as well. Because it doesn't make sense for some homeowners to subsidize other homeowners. What we all should be able to do is buy or rent at that rate, at that market rate. But we optimize the marketplace so the market the market rates are, um, are essentially the equilibrium is, is freely balanced based on supply and demand. That's the right approach, not the subsidization. But the way the state of California has been set up, there's a tremendous amount of these subsidies. And so Poway is kind of in the middle of that pickle. But even to the area of veterans, I'm still struggling with this. I'm still trying to figure out, well... I respect veterans. I, they've done great things for our, 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 our country. They've fought in wars, sometimes have come back from those wars with PTSD. Some of them are struggling. Some may be in low-income situations. We see veterans that are a, a, they're a portion of our homeless community, largely because of PTSD issues. I have sympathy for them. I get that. But I struggle with the idea of government building housing and then saying it's only for veterans uh, to me, you know, the, the whole idea of what these veterans are fighting for is equality under the law. And, and what, we're, and what we end up proposing here is really a discriminatory housing policy that's available to some people, but not available to others. And, and that strikes me as inconsistent with the values of America and Again, no disrespect to veterans. I would say the same thing if, if it were housing that was exclusively for other categories of people, other occupations, like, for example, if they wanted to build housing for teachers because everyone has sympathy for teachers. People want teachers to make more money. Teachers struggle to be able to buy homes in the communities where they teach. I understand that the economic model of that, but I wouldn't want the government to build homes. Just for teachers. Um, certainly, I wouldn't want the government to build homes where teachers are given priority that the playing field is tilted in their, their favor. That doesn't make sense because then it introduces all the more politicization of the issue. And I think it it goes against the whole notion of equality under the law. You know, all men are created equal. And that's why we talk about this podcast being about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This is an an embrace of those core principles when this nation was founded. And granted, we haven't gotten the implementation right, but over time, it's gotten better. We're seeing voting rights expanded. We're we're seeing a lot of other minority rights that are now, um, essentially, we're seeing more equality of rights that makes sense. Um, but discrimination of rights, I think, is something we've been fighting against. Why are we talking about bringing it back? So I don't know. I, I'm sure I might get some hate from people that are big supporters of veterans and people that do believe that veterans deserve special housing just for veterans. And again, all due respect to the veterans and what, they do, what they've done for this nation, I don't believe anybody deserves priority over another when it comes to housing like this. Um, and, and at the same time, veterans are they, are, they are essentially employees of the federal government and the federal government has provides to them salary and a whole slew of benefits like you know, VA, healthcare, et cetera. The relationship for the veterans with the government is at the federal level. Not at the state level and not at the local level. Local governments really have an obligation to keep their communities safe, um, to have a solid infrastructure, but they don't have an obligation or a charter to take care of certain groups of people. Um, they really should be treating all people equally. Um, and so, again, I think if the concern is is that the, the veterans need additional benefits, then that's a battle that needs to be fought in Washington, D.C., not in the Poway City Hall. Um, so anyways, uh, that's what's going on. So we're going to see the city council, I think, is likely to approve this um, demolition of the Big Stone Lodge. he will be curious to see if they literally blow it up, um, or if they retain a portion of it, and then what's going to happen? Is that site going to become a veteran's site or not? The other interesting angle to all of this to keep in mind is that our mayor, Steve Voss, is running for county supervisor in November of 2020. My hunch is, is that he would like to have movement on this issue, That he can speak to throughout his campaign. He's not going to want to let this be dormant um, from now until Election Day in November of 2020. He's going to hopefully be able to say sometime this year that the city of Poway has approved this and we're moving forward with low income housing or maybe from his angle, even better, move forward with low-income housing for veterans, because then he has a talking point on his campaign. I think that's part of the motivation here as well, um, just a hunch. Uh, so let's see how all this plays out. Okay, um, if you want to continue the conversation, love the discussion, join us on on social media. I got a Facebook page, John Riley Project. You can also see me on Twitter, on Instagram. Love the interaction. Love the interchange. If you're on YouTube right now, I'd love for you to subscribe. That's one of the big things I'm working on right now is building the subscription base in YouTube. We made some great strides recently, but really we're still in the the more modest numbers. We want to move those up. So I think the last I checked, we were at 56 subscribers. So I'm aiming for 100 by the end of the year. Help me get there. Um, Click on the subscribe button and join us. And then you'll get alerts to new podcasts when I upload them to YouTube. And you'll also uh, be able to have conversation in the notes section or the comments section of each video. So please join us there. Okay. Um, as long as we're talking Poway and as long as we're talking Poway politics, we may as well talk about the Poway Unified School District. And this <laughs> th- these, th- this organization, this political entity is a common topic that I talk about for a n- number of reasons. So my children went to school here in Poway, and they were—they um, uh, both have graduated from Poway uh, High School, and so we have a vested interest in our community. I was a candidate for uh, Poway School Board in 2014, came up a little short, lost by just one percent. Uh, still have passion, still have interest. Um, I chaired the uh, Citizen Review, um, excuse me, the Citizen. Budget review committee for uh, the, the Poway Unified School District. And so I pay attention to their finances. And to me, I'm continuously blown away by how poorly they manage things because. Never mind that our history has the billion dollar bond, which was a disgrace and had us in the national news. And our superintendent was fired for stealing money that was intended to be used to educate children. And there's been all sorts of other financial malfeasance, no big contracts, and a lot of other things that really, in my opinion, are just absolutely immoral, shameful. Um, and we're still seeing a lot of this, um, irresponsibility continuing. Um, you know, they're in a, a structural deficit right now. Um, we've got, and this is a time when the economy is going strong. You so you think the revenues would be, you know, at or near a, a solid number, but the expenses just keep growing and growing largely to appease employee unions, teachers unions, um, school employee unions. So those endorsements can be, can be used as political leverage In the campaign season, so you know the these unions endorse the uh, endorse the candidates for election. Those candidates are elected because those endorsements have a lot of power. If you're running for school board and you've got the endorsement of the teachers union, that's a big big deal. And. In exchange, those candidates will, once they're elected, are taking care of the teachers. So we have a quid pro quo relationship going on here, and uh, they're all watching out for each other, but they're not watching out for taxpayers. So we're in a deficit right now, okay? And what happened? They gave out more raises to teachers, so this happened on Thursday, the twelfth. This was just two days ago. This ratification includes a zero point five percent retroactive ongoing salary increase effective July first, two thousand eighteen. So they're going to go backwards in time over a year and give um, everybody a raise of a half of a percent on all teachers' salary schedules. Now remember, we talk about the schedule. It's this step and column matrix of of. Um, of raises and opportunities to in- get increased pay, depending on seniority, depending on getting additional credentialing, additional like if you get a master's degree, you get a bonus and your salary goes up. If you go from five years to six years, six years to seven years, you know, and there's other time frames where each when you hit those milestones, you also get a raise, and that's just within a, a certain contract. So you have this matrix of of salaries. What they're doing now is applying a half of a percent retroactive, essentially 14 months worth. They're going backwards in time and they're updating every one of the cells in that matrix with a one auto calc and they all go up a a half of a percent. And then moving forward, there is going to be a 1% ongoing salary increase effective July 1st, 2019. Actually, so that's not moving forward. We're still going retroactive. Um, And then a 1.5% ongoing salary increase effective July 1st, 2020. So unbelievable. So again, handing out money that they don't have. They They already have dwindling reserves. They have been in a deficit spending now for three years in the middle of a strong economy. And that reserve keeps getting smaller and smaller. And they keep handing out more raises that they can't afford. In addition to the salary increases, an ongoing reduction of one workday beginning 2019-2020 school year from 188 days to 187, no change in salary. And then the following year, it'll go down to 186. So they're getting some more time off. That's fine. I'm sure they're rearranging their schedules, their holiday schedules. And if they can organize, you get more time off. I'm, I'm good with that. Um, that's a good benefit. That's a benefit that costs taxpayers less for that. Now, they said, as a result of the settlement, there would be an increase to the deficit of an additional $3.8 million. Okay. So now remember, if we go back to the spring of this year in 2019, they had an $11 million deficit they were looking at for the 2019-2020 school year. And and to their credit, they cut that deficit down to about $6 million. They They reduced spending um, and they f- discovered more revenue. Now, a lot of this reduction of spending was really kind of stuff on the fringe. It was reducing, you know, travel for conferences and little things like that. They didn't cut any employees. In fact, they only took one job off the table that was currently being advertised. No one lost their job. No one was given a pink slip. Now, if you work for the school district, you probably think that's a great thing. But still, we're employing too many people there. Um, So we've already got a Six million dollar deficit, and then we just added three point eight million to it by virtue of this raise, and keep in mind. That's $3.8 million this year. It's going to keep continuing year after year. It's not a one-time expense. It's an ongoing recurring expense that's going to create more and more challenges. And it's also going to have an impact on the pension because the salary amount is what drives the the algorithm to determine the pension. So that is going to be even higher as well. So it's creating a bigger and bigger financial burden. Um, And then meanwhile, then just not too long ago, they also... Uh, Expand. they added more to the deficit to fund more textbooks. And they're, in my opinion, greatly losing sight of how to manage this situation properly. We did a podcast... Not too long ago, episode number 71, and we talked about all the different ways that the school district can save money and do it by having less employees. That has to be the key. The school district needs to find ways to reduce their employee count so they can spend less. And I offered a whole list of ways that this can be done, particularly outside the classroom and and even some innovative ways to do things with less teachers as well uh, that wouldn't harm the quality of education. So, um, and now we're continuing to see chirps, little birds are talking about parcel taxes um, to make up for this. And I think that's a real issue. So uh, I think this is a threat that, you know, we may begin to become... be taxed more because the school district fails in their ability to manage their own finances. So very, very concerned about that. Keep an eye on it. Um, I'm noticing here, like for example, in in the city of Poway for this Big Stone Lodge issue, there's a lot of concern from a lot of people. But for the school district, not as much interest except for those with a vested interest, except for... The unions, the teachers, the people that are on the gravy train, there's certain parents that are involved, but nowhere near to the degree of community involvement that we see at the city level here in Poway. So I love the civic engagement. I love people's passion, fighting for what they believe in. Um, That's this whole notion of believing in yourself, which I talk about in this podcast. I love that. And I love how it's being conducted in a very calm, rational, and civil manner both the city of Poway and the Poway Unified School District are far from perfect. And I'm concerned. I've, you know, generally speaking, the city of Poway has been very well run, but I'm concerned about this whole veterans, low income housing, particularly that it's earmarked for veterans. Um, that disturbs me um, because, I, because I think it's discriminatory. But from the school district perspective, it's the disturbance is like a factor of 20 higher because of this constant ongoing malfeasance, irresponsibility, and and just inability to manage the the store properly. Um, So... Keep an eye on it. And God forbid, if we run into a recession that's going to be coming in the next year or two, and those revenues decline rapidly at Poway Unified, they're going to hit a wall and it's going to be Armageddon over there. There's going to be some serious problems that are going to happen if we go into a recession, because right now we're in a relatively strong economy and still um, they're running into deficits And and, and it's a serious problem. Okay, moving on. I want to thank everybody for listening or watching this podcast and many of you have said John love what you're doing I, I love the fact you're talking about local issues in fact I was talking to one of the uh, fans of the podcast he reached out to me on my on my website at johnreillyproject.com I have a form there he filled it out we hooked up and um, we're going to go out to lunch this week which is going to be great so and he was telling me he, he says I get my local news from the Poway Chieftain but he was appreciative of the things that I'm doing to sort of help fill in the gaps and tell some of the stories and bring another perspective, maybe with greater amount of de- detail and context. And I was really appreciative of that. And I really am thankful that we're able to make this a community forum. I love that. And if, if you want to see more of this, if you want to encourage more of this, I invite you just to share this with a friend, um, you know, share an episode. I post them all on Facebook, share them on your page, um, forward it to a friend uh, through messenger, S- grab a link and text it to somebody. Um, you, I post all the episodes on Twitter as well, so you can do a retweet there. Share the share the love, and I would really appreciate it. If you really like this podcast and if you think we deserve it, go to iTunes and leave a review. Leave a five-star review if you think we deserve it. You can also write an, uh, a, a sentence or two or three and just let people know what you think of the podcast. And be... Absolutely candid. Tell them what you like. Tell them what you don't like and put it out there. That helps. That builds credibility for the podcast. So um, your support would be so great. And then obviously, if you're on YouTube now, please subscribe. Um, You know, and if you're on iTunes or Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, any of the other audio only, please subscribe there as well. That's really helpful, too. That gives us credibility and helps us build our audience. And that's what I'm trying to do. Um. I found this great quote. I always have a quote at the end of the episodes, and this is from Gary Oldman. And Gary Oldman is a great actor. He's British, played in so many roles. And and I think the one that I remembered most recently is he played Sirius Black on the Harry Potter movie. So he did a great job. And he said... It's a shame about California and particularly about Los Angeles, where they've demolished so many landmarks. It's a bit of a disease there where if anything is over 30 years old, they sort of knock it down and replace it. (laughs) And that's true here in Poway too. So that's why I'm hoping that they're able to preserve some of the Big Stone Lodge Commemorate it in in whatever way you can in a way that makes sense for that space And let's find a way to make that space workable and usable for our community right now That space is not usable. That space is ugly. It's a hazard It needs to be cleansed and I and and we need to use that space in different ways And i'm hopeful our city leaders and the community activists here in poway come together and come up with a great solution this is John Riley. This is episode number 77. Um, thanks for joining us. I really appreciate it. And we'll be back again. We'll see you later, folks. Bye bye.